Do you remember your first Bible? This is my first Bible. Uh, when I was a baby, I was christened. Amen. I have been scripturally baptized, Pastor, just so you know. <laughs> but uh, my dad and my parents were Anglican, and uh, I had godparents, and they gave me my very first Bible. It's an interesting thought, and, and maybe uh, you haven't thought about this before, but generally speaking, most people are given their first Bible. Most people don't go and buy their first Bible. Most people are given a first Bible. So when we come to the thought of um, going into all the world and, and giving them a Bible or uh, making a Bible available to them, we need to make sure we can give it to them as well. Amen? Uh, we don't sell God's Word. Amen? That's something we don't do. And I, I'm digressing a little bit. But turn in your Bibles, please. Romans chapter 16. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, of course, I'm Jim, and my beautiful wife, Ruth, she makes me look good everywhere we go, and uh, I've, uh, we've been married for 31 years. My wife thinks it's 61 years, uh, or <laughs> but I think it's uh, 23 years, uh, <laughs> amen, uh, and we have seven children, and as you heard, we had our 10th grandchild uh, yesterday morning. And the Lord allowed me to be saved when I was 23 years old on a bus coming up from Calgary, Alberta. Uh, that's where I bowed my head and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. I basically said, Lord, I give up. I can't run anymore. I was looking for truth. And, and uh, uh, David, I think, was telling me that his parents were looking for truth. And that's where you find truth is in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I got saved when I was 23 years old. I knew nothing. I didn't know where the book of John was, where the book of Genesis was. I knew nothing. And then God started to lead me and, and uh, guide me and direct me. And I went through a charismatic church for a little while. And I ended up about nine months after that into an independent Baptist church. And that's where I started to grow. That's where I started to understand the Bible. And that's where I really started to grow as a believer. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a while, and uh, then in uh, 1990, my wife and I joined in holy matrimony, amen, uh, the way God planned it, and uh, uh, we then started to work with Jim Rowe in a church in Leduc, Alberta, and we helped him plant that church, and in 1995, Brother Rowe had packed up his U-Haul, and he drove off, and he left me with the church. And uh, we had 18 people then, and uh, it was still a, a small church plant, but the Lord blessed that church in a great way. And I believe it, God blessed that church for a couple of reasons. One, they started to really have a desire to support me as a pastor, and uh, I believe that was very important. Uh, we also supported a number of missionaries, and I heard you uh, we're reading missionaries and promoted missionaries. That's good, amen. That's what a church ought to be about, is missions. Anyone, any missionaries here, by the way? One, two missionaries. Come on, folks. You're all missionaries, amen. <laughs> that was a trick question. <laughs> uh, 
where was I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Lord blessed, uh, you know, supporting the pastor, missionaries. And then the other thing we started in 1997 was a BPS ministry. And we started to assemble scripture in our church. Uh, the book of John and the book of Romans. And God just uh, allowed that thing to explode. And some of you maybe have heard of Phil and Hilda Smith. They have a, a trailer and they have a trimmer and a number of staplers and signatures. And they've traveled all across western Canada into a couple of churches in the States. And God has allowed, when I left the church, we had uh, been in 33 different churches uh, with that ministry. And 1.4 million John and Romans have produced through those 30-plus churches, uh, shipped to uh, 14 different countries, 11 different languages. And then Brother Keen, Charles Keen, came to me a few years ago and pointed his finger and said, I think you need to be in First Bible. And it was then we started to pray about it seriously. And in January of last year, we resigned our church and we started into First Bible International, a ministry that is designed to place Scripture into the hands who have never had a First Bible. So that means we have to translate the Scripture. Uh, it's also church planting ministry because... Uh, a Bible isn't produced just for the sake of a Bible, amen? The Bible is produced so we can put it into the hands of missionaries and uh, into the hands of churches. Uh, churches are established with a Bible. Christians are established with a Bible. And so that is the goal of First Bible, is to get the Scripture translated in the languages that have never had a Bible, or into languages that have a Bible, but it's not been translated properly. So that's kind of a little bit of a background uh, of our ministry. Tonight, I want to preach a message on the church and preservation, the church and preservation. And what I'm going to give you tonight, you folks will probably already know, but I'm going to try and put it kind of a number of different thoughts and put it together for you this evening so that we can really understand our mandate as a church with regards to Bible preservation. Uh, could you stand with me, please? And I'd like us to read Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. <clears throat> and uh, I'm not going to preach necessarily through this, but you'll see a couple of thoughts here. Now to him that is of power to establish you. God's able to establish you, amen? But notice how he establishes us as a Christian and as a church according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I lost my place. There we go. According to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret, since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God. Only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the scripture. Thank you that we can open our Bibles and we can 
uh, uh, read it and we can gain comfort and strength and be established as Christians and as a church. Father, we desperately need you. Holy Spirit, I need you tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love me and you saved me on that bus. Thank you for the new life that I have through you. Bless our time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. I have to preach fast, so you'll have to listen fast. Amen. Uh, I want to give you a couple of foundational thoughts. First is about our Bible. Uh, Psalms uh, or Second Timothy three sixteen says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect." truly furnished unto all good works. This book that we have in our hands is an unusual book, amen? It's not like any other book written in this world. None, nothing like any of the classics, Plato, Socrates. It's not a full book of philosophy like Nietzsche and, and some of these other guys. This is an unusual book. It is a God-inspired book, amen? This is a living book. The Bible says in Hebrews... It is the living word of God. I've said to our folks many times, if you put your ear really close to this, you can hear the heartbeat of God, amen? It is a living book. It will change your life if you let it change your life, amen? Because it is a living book. It is a direct revelation from God about God. This book is about God, amen? And, uh, it, and it is an inspired book. It's not a religious book, but it contains the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. I trust that you're saved tonight. I trust that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not trusting in Anchor Baptist Church for your salvation. You're not trusting in Pastor Turner for your salvation or some prayer that you prayed or some spiritual calisthenic that you've done, but you put your faith only in Jesus Christ because that's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ is the only way of salvation. I trust that you're saved. So this book is the only revelation of the way of salvation, by the way. Amen. There is no other revelation of how to be saved other than through this book. So this is uh, an inspired book. Not only is it inspired, but God has preserved this book for me. Look with me in Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation, notice the next two words, forever. Amen. Forever. God has uh, taken this and he has preserved this book from the moment it was inspired and penned by the original authors and he has preserved that book for every generation. So my little grandson that was born yesterday, when he reads the Bible, he reads the same book as I do, Amen. It has been preserved for us from this generation forever. Now, I want you to see this and understand this. We do not have the original writings of Moses. By the way, he did write the five books, first five books, amen. We don't have the original writings of Obadiah 
or Hosea or Zechariah or Joshua or Ruth or Esther or Matthew, Mark, Luke or John or Peter. Uh, we don't have any of the original documents. What do we have? We have copies of copies of copies of copies. So God has preserved his word through copying of his word. Okay? So the question is, can we trust those copies of copies of copies of copies? Amen? That's a good question, isn't it? Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. You're keeping up real good. You're listening fast. Amen. Matthew 4. Here is the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, and I like to point this out whenever I come across this passage. It says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know, that is an amazing thought, isn't it, Pastor? The Spirit of God led Jesus to be tempted of the devil. Wow. You know, uh, that, that's a challenge to me that God will put me in some places to tempt me, to try me. Amen? To see what I'm made of. He already know what I'm made of. Amen? Uh, anyway, moving on. So it says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And, then, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. So here is the first temptation. And verse 4, he says, But he answered and said, It is written. Did you know Jesus did not have an original copy of Deuteronomy or Exodus? What was he quoting? A copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Amen? But he said, it is written. He never said there was some correction. It could have been written better. Amen? Never said that. Uh, and if you look down in verse 7, it said, it is written again. It is written again. And then look in verse 10. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. Again, Jesus quoted the very word of God as the word of God, but he was quoting a scripture a copy of a copy of a copy. So what he said he had in his hand, he believed to be the very word of God. Amen? And if you look down in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you that till heaven and earth uh, pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I guess your pastor is great, amen? Well, one person thinks you're great, pastor. But notice it says, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, the smallest part of the law is still going to be there. And I, I mean, Pastor, I'm sure, has preached on this 
and I don't want to belabor it, but I want you to know that we have an inspired, God-breathed book that has been preserved for us as, uh, as it has been copied and copied and copied and copied, and we can trust this book, amen? Every word in this book we can trust, amen? Now, second thought for you, look in Matthew 16, 18. So here, that's the first foundational thought. The second one is about, our, uh, about the church. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Lord has established the New Testament, Bible-believing, Baptist church to carry out his great commission. That is the only organization that he's established to do that. And a hush came over the building. He's not established YWAM. He's not established any of these other non-church organizations. Now, they're doing a work. Uh, and I think they're doing a work because the church hasn't. Amen? Uh, uh, but they are not what God has established, not what Christ has established. He's established the local church, to carry out his mandate. Look in Timothy, says in 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, notice the next phrase, the pillar and ground of the truth. We do not create truth. We propagate truth. The truth that God has created, amen? But the church is God's organization or organism to carry out this job, amen? The Great Commission. God has established the local church. By the way, interesting, we always call it a local church. It's really a misnomer because church by definition is local, amen? So we're saying a local, local church. <laughs> a local, local assembly of baptized believers. Because that's what church by definition is. A called out assembly of baptized believers. That's how the Bible defines a church. So just as God ordained Israel to represent him in the previous times. Now God did not raise up any other nation. He only raised up the nation of Israel to represent him on earth. He has chosen the church to represent him in this dispensation. That is who God is using. That is God's plan. Now, so keep those two thoughts. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1.21. Second Peter 1.21. So the question now is, or let me give you this thought. There's only two ways that God could have preserved this book, okay? Only two ways. Now, you, if you come up with another one, let me know, and I'll add it into my message, and we'll make it three ways, amen? But as far as I can uh, wrap my mind around, there's only two ways that God has preserved this book. One way is he could have said, Alakazam, poof, there's a Bible. Hocus pocus, poof, there's a Bible. Uh, uh, whatever, and, and have Bibles and just create them, amen? Didn't he speak this world into existence? 
right? He said, hey, I want an earth. There was an earth. I want a Jupiter. There was a Jupiter. I want the Milky Way. There was the Milky Way. Amen? God spoke all of that into existence. So don't you think he could have done that with the Bible? Don't you think he could have created the Bible in every language that there is on this earth by just speaking it into existence? He's powerful enough, amen? But he didn't choose to do that. 2 Peter chapter 1 and 21 says, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. This was not God's or man's program, man's idea. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Think about this. God, you sinful, wicked man to create this book. Now that is a miracle. <laughs> Amen? That is a miracle that God would use man to write a holy book. That is amazing. That is, I, it's almost more of a miracle than putting the Milky Way up there. Amen? It's God using us to write this book. Now, God used holy men of old to pen the Bible originally. So who is he now using to preserve the Bible? I submit to you, mankind. But who? But who? Look with me in Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. Like I said, you've all, you know all this stuff in, already, amen? I haven't preached or taught you anything that you don't already know. But I'm kind of putting it together in a package for you. So for uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. So what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? So we understand the Jew or the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. Amen. Paul said, so what is the advantage that the Jew has? What is the profit of circumcision? Why, is it, why was it good to be born in the nation of Israel? Well, they had the temple. Amen. They had the priesthood. They had the offerings. They had the sacrifices. If you wanted to get to God, you had to go through the nation of Israel to get to God. So if you were born a Jebusite, a Hittite, or any of the other ites, you had to go to the nation of Israel and go through that program, if you will, to meet God. Think about this. The tabernacle or the temple was in two places, right? There was the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place, the high priest could only go once a year with an offering of blood on the day of atonement. And that is where God met man was there. Amen? The Shekinah glory came in. So Israel, can I say Israel had the very presence of God. No other nation had the very presence of God but the nation of Israel. Amen? You with me? Verse 2. Paul says, much every way. Well, sure, they had the priesthood, the sacrifices, the temple, the, the presence of God. And then he says, chiefly, because that unto them were committed, what? The oracles of God. Think about that. They had the presence of God but Paul said, above all of their advantages, they had the word of God. That's amazing, isn't it? 
That's marvelous. That unto them were committed above all their advantages. They had Genesis to Malachi given to them. A revelation of God. If they did not have that, how do we know God? We don't. We can see his eternal power and Godhead through nature, but really that's where it kind of stops. So the question is, if God gave to the nation of Israel the advantage, the blessing, the privilege of having this much of the scripture, who has he given that to today? There's only one organization that God's given that to, and that's the church. Folks, he's not given it to Zondervan. He's not given it to Nelson. He's not given it to Holman. He's not given it to any of those other Bible societies. Amen, amen. Thank you. He has given it to the church. Did you know Zondervan doesn't care if we get a Bible? You know why? Because Rupert Murdoch owns Zondervan. Rupert Murdoch owns Nelson. You know what he cares about? The buck. China doesn't care. You can go to the dollar store and buy a $2 Bible. Did you know that? A King James $2 Bible. Does China care that we have a Bible? No. What do they care about? Making money off of God's people. That's what they care about. When we produce a Bible, why do we produce it? Because there's a lost and dying world. Amen? We're not in it for money. Amen? We're in it for souls. So now, the, the Old Testament, uh, uh, the, yeah, the Old Testament was committed to the nation of Israel. The New Testament, if you will, is committed to the church. Now, of course, God's placed Israel on the side burner, and pastor can talk about that. So really, we have that responsibility now of Old and New Testaments, amen, to make sure that it gets preserved. Now, let me show you preservation in action. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. Colossians 4, 16. Here is preservation in action. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So, think about this now for a moment, folks. Paul writes a four-chapter epistle to the church at Colossae and says, when you've read this, so I'm going to move around a little bit here. So here is the Apostle Paul. He's written a letter to the Anchor Baptist Church and has delivered it now to the pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church. And he says, when you're done with this, I want you to pass it on to the Metro Baptist Church. Now let me ask this question. 
do you think pastor would give them the original document? He'd make a copy, wouldn't he? He'd say, okay, church, let's gather. Here's a quill and here's a, uh, some parchment. Let's copy down the Word of God and we'll give it to Metro Baptist Church. And then someone else comes in from another church and here's Pastor Perich from the book of Colossae and they say, hey, Pastor, can I have a copy of what you just preached? Amen? That's how the preservation process expanded, amen? Now, when the church of, uh, of Burnaby, Anchor Baptist Church, copied that out, do you think they copied it like it, they should have copied it, word for word, made sure there was no mistakes? Or do you think they kind of, yeah, well, I think Paul said this, and I think he said that, and, and it sounds better if I do it this way. Do you think they did that? Man, they did every word just as the Apostle Paul said it. So, can I have my word of God back? Word of Jim? So, that's how preservation happened in the early church. And could I say that's still happening today? When we were putting together those John and Romans, we were actually involved in the preservation of God's word. So every time we assembled a John and Romans, put a cover on the signature, stapled it, we had just preserved the word of God, amen? That's the church's responsibility is to preserve the word of God. We cannot abdicate it to Zondervan Nelson because they'll change it. Oh, wait a minute, they have. All our new Bibles, amen, N-I-V-K-E-Y-M-O-U, I mean, sorry, uh, I digress there for a moment. God has chosen the church to represent him. God has chosen the church to produce the scripture. Look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11. Revelation 1 and verse 11. I want to show you this again. Here's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John has to uh, write down the book of Revelation. And the Lord Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He says to John, and what thou seest, write in a book and keep it to yourself. Don't let anybody read it because there are things so hard to understand in that book they'll never figure it out you're the only one to tell people no what did he say write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in asia ephesus Smyrna, pergamos Thyatira, sardis philadelphia laodicea so let me ask this question how many copies are now existent of the book of Revelation, according to this. At least seven, probably eight. Amen? Preservation in action. God's people. The church. We are responsible. But you know, as independent Baptists, we've abdicated that responsibility. 
We've said, okay, Zondervan, you produce your Bible. Mine's a Nelson Bible. A Nelson Bible. And I almost guarantee you most of your Bibles are Zondervan, Nelson, or Holman. We need to start producing more Bibles as a church, amen? And getting them out. It's our job. Let me give you, here is a uh, testimony from an Iranian named Riza. Of course, in Iran, where's David? Oh, there you are, back. We're talking about Farsi. He says, yes, yes. So, you know, if I were to ask David, what language are we going to speak in heaven? You know what he'd say? Farsi. But it's really English. (laughs) I digress again. (laughs) I'm lost. (laughs) Um, Here's his testimony. He says this, I'm so blessed by the Bible reading campaign. Before I long, before I long for my own Bible, but they are very hard to get in Iran. Now that I receive your emails, I read the chapter every day like you suggest, but have also started writing down every chapter by hand. My goal is that by the end of this year, I'll have the whole New Testament written down. He says, I will have my own Bible. Isn't that amazing? That just tells me that when a person gets saved and born again, they want to know about God. Amen? They want to know God. And this is the only place we can know God. We don't meet him out in the forest somewhere. Amen? We don't, miss him. We don't meet him as we're swinging that golf club. Pretty close. It's almost like heaven there. Amen? So now, turn with me to Matthew 28. I'm I'm starting to wrap this up. Matthew 28. Here's the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all English nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Is that what your Bible says? Did I add something? Ah! Looking for lightning. Teach all nations. Amen? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Fellas, if you want to start handing those things out. So notice he says, all nations to teach all nations, and then to teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded. Now, up till now, uh, teaching all nations has been, and we've understood it, and we do it, we've done the best we can. But we teach all nations an English Bible many times. Pastor Lavellier was telling me in Quebec, there is a church there that uh, takes a King James Bible and preaches in the French language. Well, why? (laughs) 
And I'm not going to go into all that that he told me. But the idea is that's how we think many times as we go to these foreign nations and we teach them uh, the Bible. But you know what? We got to teach them, give them a Bible so they can have it. But this is what we've been giving them. It's called the tribal Bible. But that's what we've been giving them over the years. So we go to them and we say, all right, here's the pastor. Pastor, would you come stand here for a minute? Here's the pastor. Turn around, look at your people. And he's going to teach here the Bible. And you know what he says? Trust me. I'm teaching you the word of God. If you do not have a Bible, if all you have is one of these, then you have to trust what he says. Not only that, but if he is speaking to an interpreter, young man, come on up here. What's your name? Joshua? I like that name. My son's name, Joshua. My youngest son. So here's the interpreter, and he's speaking Farsi. He's going to interpret Farsi. Amen? Amen, Amen, Brother David? And so he's saying it in English. He's saying it in Farsi, and you're understanding in Farsi. So you got to trust that what he understood what he said, and you have to understand what he said. Because that's all you got. Wouldn't it be better to give him that? So that you can understand what he said right off the bat. And make sure he said what he said is right. Thank you, gentlemen. But that's what we've been doing over the years is giving him that. We have to change that, amen? We have to change that. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Oh, my time's just about up. Acts 2. Here's the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit, we understand, is poured out and empowers the church. And verse 5, it says, And they're dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Excuse me, now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his, what? Own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, One to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Then he lists the different languages, the different people groups. Verse 11, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Folks, if this is all we're giving them, or we're giving them an English Bible and trusting that we can teach them English, or they can understand English, they'll never really understand the wonderful works of God like they could if they had a Bible in their own tongue. I've asked people many times, and uh, there is a family at Pembina Valley. They came out from Kazakhstan. They were German-speaking. They're now in an English church. They spoke, read understood three languages, Russian, German, and uh, English. I asked them, which Bible speaks to your heart? One of the couples said, oh, Russian. That really speaks to my heart. The other, uh, the man, I think, said German. That's what really speaks to my heart. Wait a minute, you're in English church in Canada. 
how come you don't say English? The point being is, we have to go from this to this so that God can really speak to the heart. A fellow by the name of Eddie Arthur said this, the responsibility of the people of God then is to develop an indigenous expression of the gospel in their situation. Viewed from this context, the translation of the scriptures is no longer, no longer an optional extra, but is absolutely central to what it means to be a Christian community. We often say the Bible translation is a great help to evangelism. Let's suggest somewhat radically that in light of the incarnation, it is actually the opposite which is true. Translation of the scriptures is the fundamental missionary responsibility of the church. Now, I am an independent Baptist by conviction. I, I went to a charismatic church for a while. You knew that. I became an independent Baptist. But we have dropped the ball on Bible translation. We have not involved ourselves in it as we should. We need to change that. We need to get involved to make sure the tribal Bible actually becomes a worded Bible. Amen? And we've got a long way to go, but at least we're starting. Amen? And that's what we need to do, is we need to get going. I'll give you two more, or two more verses, uh, Isaiah 29 and verse 11. Oswald J. Smith said, Unless and until we give the word of God to everyone in his native tongue, the world cannot be evangelized. Cannot be evangelized. It has to be in their own tongue. It says in 29.11, A vision of all has become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee, and he say, I cannot, for it is sealed. You know what we have done to over half the world? We've given them a sealed book. We've sealed. By the way, it is interesting. Where are the darkest places in this world? Think about that for a moment. We call it the 1040 window. Islamics, Buddhists, and Hindus rule that world. Do you know that's the same place where the least amount of missionaries go and the least amount of Bibles are reliably and uh, translated into their languages? No wonder it's dark. This brings light. Amen? This brings light. We've given them a sealed book. Here's an example of the task that we have. There's over 7,000 different languages and dialects. If we were to reduce all those 700 or 7,000 languages and dialects to 100 people, so let's say there's 100 people, pretty close in this room tonight, 
four of you would actually have a Bible that is reliable and readable. Four. Twelve would have a New Testament. Fifty-three would have absolutely nothing. That's a shame. We hamstring missionaries when we send them out with that. We need to give them the tools to do this. I worked on the airplane for 20 years. I tell you, if I had something like this, we'd still be working on the first airplane, amen? Hammer and chisel, it doesn't work. But if we have the right tools, we can evangelize this world. We still have the command to evangelize the world. We've got to get it done, folks. And we need Bibles to do it. 